0: All right. It is the week of December 4th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick OJ, and today we need to talk about power. Is it in jeopardy? So he's had a wild UFC 282 fight week. We're going to talk about the Patty versus Ariel feud and how that affects Patty's brand and business, uh, as well as the UFC's business. Then we're going to talk about, you know, his fight, how that was received from everyone, all the fun stuff, and ultimately ask the question from the UFC's perspective, is this new bright star that they've been building at risk of being dimmed or maybe fading out altogether? So we're going to look at that in depth today. Then we're going to talk about the new UFC superstar model. So Patty Pimblett, Molly McCann, Raul Rosas Jr., even Sean O'Malley have all been pushed a very different way than superstars of old a la conor mcgregor and ronda rousey this new model that they're trying to build stars with what we're going to look at on this episode specifically is whether or not it's working as they believe it intended we've got a couple of real life examples and we've had some time to digest and see this new model play itself out in fights and in the business And I will give you my opinion on whether or not the UFC will continue to go this route or maybe they'll tweak it or shy away from it altogether. Then we're going to do our quick hit section. And last but not least, we need to talk about the UFC judging crisis. How bad will it get for the UFC? So if you missed UFC 282, you might want to pause this podcast and at least look up some news or watch those fights. If you're planning on watching them, don't want to listen to this episode because there's going to be spoilers. But the two fights that went two judges' decisions caused outrage on multiple fronts, and we need to look at the ramifications for the UFC from this, because I do believe it is big enough, it's going to have quite an effect. So with that in mind, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, what have you, always appreciate you guys. Timestamps at the bottom, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, so first up, we need to talk about Paddy Pimblett. Oh, Paddy the Batty. It's been a pretty bad week for Paddy Pimblett, depending on who you ask, especially for his star power. So to catch you up, in case you're not familiar with this, although I assume most of you are, Paddy starts this week leading up to his fight at UFC 282 against Jared Gordon, having Dana White come on his podcast and during this podcast, he just rips into MMA media, specifically Ariel Hawani, just really diving into him, just going after him. Then Dana White chimes in because Dana hates him. Uh, you've got people in the background laughing, which is a whole, like, what's going on? How many people are there? And they're just ragging on Ariel Hawani something fierce. It's, it's pretty bad. Uh, they, they went after him. So that happens. And then Ariel on his show spends an hour just with one of the best rebuttals I've ever seen in terms of, up oh, here's receipts of our messages. Here's what I meant here. Here's a voice message Patty left me, all this stuff. And really making Patty look pretty, pretty bad in the eyes of many journalists, um, myself somewhat included. It's hard to... Right. It's hard to look at that and be like, oh, Patty was in the right here when Ariel had those receipts. Um, It's just tough to to be on Patty's side after that. And it seems like most fans also agreed. Right. Uh, You had a lot of people saying, oh, Ariel, you know, got him back pretty bad, all this stuff. And then going into fight week, that was what Patty was asked probably the most right? He had multiple interviews after that and everybody kept bringing up all oh, the feud with Ariel. And you could tell Patty was annoyed by this whole scenario. Um, yeah. So that all happens. Then comes UFC 282 fight night against Jared Gordon. And this fight, which we'll get into later. Um, Gordon is able to land multiple times on Patty. Um, Patty, you know, retorts here and there, but it's a much tougher test than I think a lot of Patty Pimblett fans and some of the media expected it to be f- for Pimblett. And he ends up winning unanimous decision, although most people, including myself, uh, believe he did not win that fight. Um, I saw there's one scorecard out there media-wise who, who scored it for him. The rest, no. Um, a lot of fans, even, even his own fans were saying he didn't win that fight. It was pretty bad. And then in his post fight octagon interview and post fight presser interview, he, you know, says, Nope, definitely won the fight. Don't know what you're talking about. All this stuff. He tries to make a joke referencing part of the feud with Ariel and himself to Joe Rogan, which Joe Rogan just is deadpan. There's no reaction whatsoever. Um, And he comes out of this looking not the best from a public perspective in a lot of people's minds. Now, let's talk about the business side of this, right? Not going to go into a lot of detail on the judging because we're going to cover that in the judging section. But outside of this, this, in my opinion, was one of the worst weeks I've seen a UFC star have, right? It's not the worst. I think Conor McGregor still probably takes that cake for some of his actions. But even at that point, Conor was a bona fide star. I I would argue that we've seen things that hurt one's brand more from both Conor and Ronda Rousey. But after they've established their brand and their crossover stardom very securely, right? Um, Conor's tweets still get picked up all the time by MMA media. And, and the reason why is because they get tons of clicks. Re- you know, he hasn't won in, I don't know how long, uh, a lot of what he's tweeted has, has just been nothing to do with fighting. And yet it's still put out there quite a, quite a bit. And as I mentioned on last week's podcast and the way that the media has shifted in the new digital age, the reason why is because it still gets clicks. He he's still, Garners quite a bit of public interest, right? I mean, his pay per views still do over a million easy every time. Patty, however, is still an up and coming star, one would say, right? He's been around a while. I mean, he's 28, I believe, 27, 28. um, Had a lot of fights, pro fights, but he really came onto the scene through the UFC. And that's part of the UFC's you know, branding, um, and, and knowledge. And I'm not saying, cause I know I can already hear people say, what are you talking about? If you followed cage warriors? Yes. Yes. If you followed cage warriors, Patty was the star of that show during his time there. There's no doubt, but he was elevated quite a bit through the UFC and he was pushed as a superstar in the UFC. Right. And this has, in my opinion, pretty damaged, pretty much damaged his brand to a level that isn't necessarily unrecoverable, but will affect his, his real superstar appeal, especially on a crossover level. And let me explain why. So let's look first at the aerial feud, right? It is one thing to go after a journalist, especially an MMA journalist or or and i use that term loosely right much more media member let's let's call them that um it's one thing to go after an mma media member who is known within the hardcore circles but not really the crossover ones so we we've seen fighters do this luke thomas is a great example right john jones was like I don't like you, Luke. Uh,
1: How would you look back on that that decade in your life? Um, I don't really like you, Luke. So I'm not going to answer your question. Yeah.
0: Brock Lesnar mentioned Luke at one point, like, and and Luke Thomas gets a lot of crap for what he does and, and the way he handles things sometimes, um, but if you do that, right? If you go after Luke, which I mean, I think the best example of this more recently is Chell Sonnen a while back, uh, you know. Went after Luke Thomas on his podcast, and then Luke did a rebuttal. Very similar-ish to the Patty um, Ariel feud, but it, it's contained, right? If it's if it's a well-known media member, it's the hardcores or even the semi-casuals. It's going to be contained to a certain level. The, the jump from a hardcore or semi-hardcore fan to a more casual fan is actually we covered that multiple times here. The UFC has seven different categories that they mentioned that we know of. They, they may have added more at this point, but seven different types of fans that they use in customer ac- acquisition. If you are hardcore, semi-hardcore, your levels w- levels one and two. That means there's still five other level of fan out there. And if you have a journalist who's known amongst one and two, okay, it might circulate. And maybe, maybe if it's a real big deal, Right as long as you don't go you know way off base where you go on you know some some type of tirade or say things that are so outrageous then you get mainstream attention as long as you don't do that you're going to affect circles one probably affect half to most of two and maybe if it's a big deal a little bit of circle three but that still means that four customer segments probably never hear about it or they hear about it and they just don't care patty went after the most well-known journalist or really media member sorry uh content creator in our sport and that is someone that again that has ties to espn that has been if you're thinking of anything related to MMA and you're a casual fan and you're thinking of any MMA media, it's probably the one name, you know, right? If you're, if you're somebody that watches Connor fights only, or, you know, one or two really big pay-per-views, if it like comes up and somebody asks you like, Hey, do you know an MMA media member? It's probably the one that those people can answer. And not all of them will, but if they know any, it's going to be that guy. And so Patty went after him. And in a way that was was easily refutable, which I think, again, Ariel did a great job bringing in evidence to refute a lot of what Patty said. Now, yes, he is out there basically just trashing Ariel with Dana White on the podcast because we all know, if. well, I'm sorry, if you don't know, Dana White, loathes Ariel Hawani. and this is of course a good way to endear yourself to your boss right to maybe get even more favor or to just stay in his good graces is to have a chuckle session just ragging on a media member that he hates which is what they did but to do that in the way that Patty did that where so much of what he said was easily proven as misinformation or refutable with very good cause. It's, it's going to hurt your brand because what you saw then was so many fans and so many media members being like, man, Hilwani roasted him and and it made him look bad. And again, you could tell how annoyed Pimblet was doing the media rounds and having to answer about, the aerial stuff. You could tell that that response got to him a little bit and, and he wanted to talk about the fight. He wanted the spotlight on him, but instead the spotlight was on well, Ariel refuted or, you know, denied or whatever words you want to use basically came back and rebutted everything that you said on your podcast. How do you feel about that? What do you have to say about that? Every question from every new journalist or media member in line for Patty Pimlet. And I keep saying journalist, I know. It's just stuck in my head, especially with the whole feud. Um, every, you know, every person that's asking Patty questions is going to ask that one, pretty much. That's not great for your brand. If you're trying to be the next McGregor, if you're trying to be the next face of UFC or one of the faces of the UFC. You want the focus on you and your accolades and what you are gonna do to the guy in the cage, et cetera, not on what, you know, you know, a side feud that you seemingly lost in the court of public opinion. That's not great. So again, not a great business move by Patty in that regard. And I think it came back to bite him a little bit. Um, but you know, I, I don't know that if he goes out there on Saturday and he just decimates Jared Gordon, I don't know that it's as much of a big of a deal, probably still turned off some people, right? I, I know it turned off certain people that I know a couple personally that were, um, fans of his that definitely kind of like, well, I don't know now at least questioned it, but Yeah, it's not a great start to your fight week and not something you want to do. There was no positive gain. I know, oh, any press is good press, right? It's not always true, right? It's not. This was a case of bad press really is bad press because he's not big enough. He's not at that secure level. He's not an Adesanya or a John Jones or someone where, yes, you've got some kind of, negative media and it's bad, but you're so established. It doesn't matter. Pimlet's not there yet. And you have to be careful while you're on that rise. Cause all it takes is the slightest thing to knock somebody from being a megastar to being well-known within the MMA circles, right? There are so many so close to superstardom fighters that just never quite made it or that they came back around after, multiple attempts but still never you know I would again argue Francis Ngannou is that type he he goes out there and he starches Stipe in the first fight that dude is is making the rounds on talk shows he's he's a big star he's he's right there with it instead he gets 50-44 and out wrestled really badly and even though he came back and Beats Stipe went on another crazy KO run, looks better than ever. He's well-known within MMA, and he's done a little bit outside of it, but not nearly to the level he could have been. It, it only takes one thing to derail that rise. Once you're there and you hit that level, it's hard to get knocked down. But when you're making that climb, any little thing can throw you off. So this all happens. And then you get to the actual fight on UFC 282. And again. Goes out there, wins a very controversial decision. Ignores Joe Rogan's question about, you know, did he thought it was closer? No, he's just arrogant as ever. All that, which is normally his shtick, right? Like that's what he does is he comes out and he says he's the baddie. He says he, you know is an arrogant guy, all this stuff. You you've seen him do it in other post fight pressers and octagon interviews. Um, I know he didn't against Jordan Levitt because he instead did a very gracious thing in, you know, talking about mental health and all of that. But generally he comes out there and he's brash and he's got that swagger and that's what he does. But in this particular scenario with how controversial it was that, that swagger just added fuel to the fire, right? Um, You had a lot of diehard Pimblet fans that were super happy, but it really ostracized the rest of the MMA community who either may have liked him, but weren't, you know, crazy diehard fans or who were indifferent because that's, you know, that's, that's just kind of saying, oh, what you saw isn't real, right? I feel like that's what a lot of fans felt like after that fight. I know you fans thought that you saw Jared Gordon win, but no, that's not real. And no, what are you talking about? I easily won that. And it's, it's just, it's not the type of thing you want to do after that type of decision. And it's possible Patty doesn't realize exactly how controversial it is, but if he has any sort of inkling that he should have lost the fight or it was razor thin, you don't go out there and do your normal brash arrogant shtick because it's, it's not going to work and have the same effect as you, you think it will. And I think if anything, again, it just turns more people off from the Pimblit brand because here you are last performance, you know, giving a heartfelt speech about mental health and all of this, uh, you're, you're still this, you know, Patty, the batty figure, but then you go out and have that type of performance where a lot of people, right. Thought that he was just going to dominate Jared Gordon, just like he dominated, um, the other, I mean, uh, Jordan Levitt and Luigi, uh, Vendorami, I believe. Um, and, and all of that, right. You, you thought he was going to go out there, and just dominate like he normally does. And that's a bit, by the way, the fact that I just said Vendorov. Just very quick side note. When I do the pronunciation thing, it is a bit. I can't actually learn these fighters' names. All right, anyway. uh, But yeah, so you've got that type of post-Octagon interview, adding fuel to the fire. Then you go to the post-fight presser. And you do more of the same. You've got journalists, journalists asking you, just you know, thought it was close, whatever, and saying, "Nope." It says some very lewd comment to that. I'm I'm not going to repeat his comment because um, we try to keep it PG-ish. But again, just more more arrogance, which only adds more fuel to the fire. It says, "No, I won. That's ridiculous." Blah blah blah. This is the type of performance that can mess up your brand, right? You, you you portrayed one character earlier on. You showed a lighter side of that character with your post-fight speech about mental health, but then you did a full-on, nope, I'm an arrogant jackass bit when... Again, you probably shouldn't have won the fight. Like, if I'm Patty, regardless of if I thought I won for sure or what have you, you're trying to be a star in the sport. And even if you thought you won, right? Like he says, he thought he easily won a couple rounds, all that. You can't be happy with that performance. And he definitely acted like he was. Now, spoiler alert to those of you that have not followed Patty outside of the UFC, but much like Molly McCann, he has a clear ceiling. I think anyone that had delusions of that before this fight definitely got a wake up call. But he has a clear ceiling. He is not a 24 year old prospect who is, you know, really learning and and making huge leaps and bounds. Not that he can't. He's 28, right? And we've seen Charles Oliveira. We've seen other. We've seen other prospects. And I again. Use that term loosely given how many fights he has under his belt. But we've seen other fighters turn it around and then make a huge run, become champ, all of that. Of course, Patty still has the ability to do that. But he has lost some decisions to people in Cage Warriors. One was a fighter that made it to the UFC and then washed out. And then another was Soren Bach, who I believe went over to Bellator. He did, he, yeah, pretty sure he went over to Bellator. Um, and I believe he lost once, or but I mean he's 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 solid. But either way, point is, these are levels of fighters where if Patty really is that new hot shot prospect, he should be rolling through these guys, right? or at the very least showing off really impressive skills around them like if if you end up losing to someone from a dumb mistake when you clearly have just all the talent in the world especially when you're younger that can be overlooked easily if you end up losing kind of hard fought decisions and then you're still making the mistakes that Patty's currently making, leaving your chin just way out there. I said this during the Luigi fight. I mean, he got hit. Luigi couldn't put him down, but he, his chin is just out there. And at 155, are you telling me that Dustin Poirier doesn't starch him? I mean, most of the top 15 gives him problems. And a lot of people have known this or have thought this at least for a while. Myself included. But there's been this marketing push in this buildup, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And the way that they've portrayed Patty and built him up, a lot of people thought he was going to be, I don't know that we want to jump to the next Connor right away, but he was going to be the next version of that. And this performance didn't exude any of that. Not even in the slightest. So when that happens, again, if Patty goes out there and he says, man, yeah, it was really close. I just wasn't feeling it. Or, you know, he mentioned an injury at some point, right? Like he says, man, I'm kind of injured. But if he takes it a little bit more humble or a little bit like, I wanted to give you a better performance, all this blah, blah, blah. I think that goes a long way and saves a lot of face. Instead, he comes off as like, man, I dominated. It's so great when it's very clear he didn't. And people start to think he's delusional, and they're like, "What?" And you you lose you lose the people that you've captivated with this character, which I don't know how much of it is an actual character versus that's just Patty's personality. But either way, you lose a lot of the captive audience and a lot of customers, especially in the casual, semi-casual, the the higher up segments, and even the hardcores. Right? I, I mean. You lose a fair amount of them when you're talking like you're Conor McGregor, but you're putting on performances that are well below that, right? It's not like you're fighting the best in the world when you're doing this too. This is Jared Gordon, who I like Jared Gordon. I think he's talented, but this was never supposed to be anything more than a stepping stone for Patty. And he really struggled. And we're not talking about another prospect too, where all of a sudden, Jared Gordon's going to go on a crazy run right now and look phenomenal from here on out. We're talking about a kind of veteran stepping stone that would help build his star power, build his name, add to his highlight reel, all of that. And this was just not that performance. So overall, I think... How much this affects Pimblet moving forward. Here's the good news for Pimblet is we've seen time and time again from the business side, right? That you can stumble and you can come right back and everyone will forget about your last fight, right? You're only as good as your last performance. We've seen, we've seen superstars or champions where you forget that it's like all right a lot of people forget like well gsp should have lost to, to johnny Hendricks, according to most scorecards <laughs> right uh people forget that people forget that you, you've got these dustin poirier just got murked by michael johnson before he went on his crazy run right people people forget that stuff you you can make them forget it by going out there Adjusting your performance. Building off with what you've done. The spotlight being this much on Patty, it's going to be harder for them to forget, but it's still doable. Arasanya has done it multiple times, right? Um, he was struggling because he had so many boring fights in a row, but, you know, f- the first couple boring fights, people didn't mind, especially when he came out then and, you know, would, would trash talk and do his thing and the swagger, like they... He had established himself enough too, right? Especially the way he won the title. He had a little bit more grace, but it, it's not the end of the world for Patty here. I don't think. I think it's dimmed it. I don't think it's killed the star power, especially if he comes back out. He says he's made adjustments. He's doing all this stuff. Everybody loves a second chance, right? Everybody loves a comeback story, quote unquote. That would be the equivalent of this. If he comes back, murks a guy, cuts a ridiculous promo. I don't think he's lost enough of his star power that you know it'd be like great. But he's he's never going to have the chance to be a crossover star. No, I wouldn't say that, but it it definitely has dimmed quite a bit. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think if you're the UFC here, you. Definitely slow play it even a little bit more, right? You look at where Jared Gordon is, where Jared Gordon is, and you take it down a level. I don't think you take it down like to complete can level, but you take it down at least one level and you make sure Pimblet is prepared and all of this stuff because, yeah, I mean, uh, he he really shot himself in the foot this week. Um, Definitely hurt his drawing power. Now, what I'm curious to see is any interview come through this, what the numbers do from social media, because that's one metric we can see, but then also just rumblings in terms of his his drawing power, right? Because um, this this will be a make or break moment for him where he'll need to pivot and come back very strong to kind of erase this performance, or he's going to end up in the, well, you're a hot prospect, but you'll never be what you were kind of category, right? Um, the Darren Till category, the, I, I wouldn't say quite Macy Barber category Depend what well, depends on his performances, but I mean, it, it's going to really hurt your drawing power and y- you are at such a, such a dangerous place in your career, if you're Patty, that you cannot afford to make another mistake like what, what happened this past weekend. Honestly, the Ankalaev Blahovich scorecard helped because it took a little bit more of the focus off of him and more onto MMA judging, which we'll talk about. But you've gotta come back guns blazing here. You've got to market yourself in a way of, okay, I, you know, watched the fight and I, I didn't think I did quite as you know, well as I had, and I've got to make adjustments and all this stuff, and then you come back and you have a huge performance, then you're good. I mean, you still got people like you know Dave Portnoy of Barstool backing you. You still have enough mainstream figures that are on your side, and enough fans that I, you you can salvage this. But it's crisis mode at this point. You you want a an opponent who's much more lo, much lower level, and someone who is going to Make sure you get a win while you adjust. And we've, we've seen this happen before with O'Malley, I would argue, right? Like Sean O'Malley losing to Cheeto Vera and then coming back and now, you know, getting a title shot, it helps. But even then, O'Malley's star dimmed a little bit, right? He, he is still a star, but he's not at what he could have been in the crossover world. Can he still get there? Yes but he's not there now and he might not get there. Patty needs to come out guns a blazes here. Guns guns a blazes, Guns a blazing here if he wants to retain this. So let me know your thoughts. I know that was a long kind of dissection, but it was kind of like two or three categories in one. Let me know your thoughts on Patty the Batty. First of all, do you think that he won the fight? Would love to hear from you if you think he won the fight. Second of all, Do you think that his star power is hurt here? Do you think that it's going to be harder for him to reach that Conor McGregor level if he ever gets there? Um, or are you confident that, you know, this was a one-time thing, he'll he'll bounce right back? And if you're a fan of his who is turned off by his actions this week, let me know that as well. Because I think that's the most crucial mindset to get into. Is if you were a diehard Patty fan or you were just all about him and then this week happened and suddenly you're not so much, what was it that triggered? you may be not being about it. Was it the fact he just didn't perform that well? Was it the aerial stuff? Let me know in the comments because I would love to kind of get into that psychology too. But yeah, I mean, it's it's bad business all around. And from the UFC's perspective, again, you, you market him and continue to push him the same way you've been pushing him, regardless of the, the backlash you're going to face. And you take it down a level and you protect him. You protect him big time. But you keep having him do F at Fridays. You keep having him do other stuff. Maybe take him away from it for like a little bit just until the next fight. Give some space from it. but uh, and, and give some time for things to cool down. But then you, you put him in a bubble and you definitely don't put him anywhere near top 20, top 25, I think, at this point in terms of UFC fighters. Um, don't know exactly where Gordon was ranked, but I think he was outside of that. Definitely not the top 15. That's an easy no-brainer. Uh, you do not do the Taporia match. That's 100% a no-go. <laughs> so yeah, that's what you do if you're the UFC at this point. All right, so speaking of Patty Pimblett and that type of superstar rise, we've talked about it before on the podcast. UFC has a new formula. Right? And that formula is a lot of heavy marketing, somebody with a personality or a story that really captures certain KPIs, key performance indicators that the UFC has on their side. I'm sure they have a list of things they look for and metrics that move, which when they do, it's like, oh, this guy, right? Um, If you, trust me, they do. If you don't think they do, they definitely do. They are highly analytical. They are, there's so much, analytics and things in the background that people don't realize with this type of stuff that the UFC is into. And we've seen glimpses of that in interviews with Dana White, with Lawrence Epstein, um, but they are are just burning through big data to find the next McGregor or or anywhere near him. Right. Any Any person they think might potentially be the next McGregor. They want to market in a particular way. They want to protect a little bit and they want to make sure is able to move merchandise and build a fan base. And so I would say that Sean O'Malley was probably the first example of this. And I think part of it was the UFC and part of it was Sean himself said he didn't want to, you know, fight ranked opponents for a long time until he was getting more money. So I think that kind of was a, Trial run of how this works, where O'Malley was extremely popular from the contender series. Um, then you know, built a following, was selling shirts all the time, had that personality, was starching guys, just absolutely starching guys again, named guys, even though they're old, right? Which is part of this model. Um, he, he was doing all that, and his stuff kept selling and he kept move in big numbers. And so I think they kind of realized, okay, let's try and apply some of this to other people that may end up being like O'Malley or whoever. And so I think the formula right now, just to recap that is you move certain metrics, you put on finishing performances, or at least fun performances. I I wouldn't necessarily say they all have to be finishes, but they have to be like exciting wars or fights. You got to be like, whoa, like action fighter, right? Like Justin Gaethje, um, what have you. And you've got that kind of going for you. Once the UFC looks at those metrics, whether it's from contender series or what have you, and we know some of them are social media, don't know what the others are, but once they see that, I say, okay, we're going to start marketing him a little bit. We're going to start giving him... Uh, Some profiles, right? Some like behind the scenes profile stuff. We're going to push them a little bit in terms of maybe a brand sponsor we have or something and see where that goes. And then if, again, all the metrics are moving the right way, you have that fighter. That's the new hotshot prospect. Fight older vets that are either flailing, middling, or, or just almost on their way out of the UFC. Maybe they have some name value. Maybe they don't. Initially, they probably don't, right? Initially, they're probably just some some guy that's, you know, a proven veteran that you know isn't going to, like, destroy the kid or shouldn't destroy the kid. Uh, And you put them up against them. They get a highlight reel finish. And then see where the numbers go after their Octagon interview, their post-fight press conference, all that stuff. And you continue to feed them. Again, lower end guys, slow build it. If it continues to go well, then I believe you give them a name that's older, right? So for O'Malley, Eddie Wineland, um is a great example where he's a name in that sport amongst the hardcores, but he was he was done, right? I and mean, he, he was he was very much done. Um and you let them build their name off of that. And then you start to build them towards a the title. But again, you you have them start fighting against well-known guys. Um, I mean, Adesanya, Anderson Silva, right? That fight, there's no way Adesanya doesn't win that fight, probably, if, if you're looking at that from a better perspective. And I know that was thrown together last minute, but they, they put Silva in there, not because he was the next contender to Whitaker, right, who you know, and and, and I mean, yeah, all that stuff. They put Silva up against sign because that's a legend of the middleweight division. And that's someone who does have some crossover knowledge just because of the height of UFC popularity. You know, Silva was a big part of that. He was a huge face of the company. You continue to do that, right? And then from there, in in an ideal world, they win the belt in emphatic fashion. They become a star. They make you money. Adesanya is... I don't think you could argue he is... He took that path, but he's an example of someone who, you know, had the personality, and they gave him good fights on the way up that he dominated, then gave him Silva to boost his name, and then he went out there, beat the champ, and now he's, he's a star. And I think the overall goal of this model is to do the same thing, but just with a slow build so it can eventually become better, right? Get really good experience, and then end up winning and using that new star power that they've cultivated from the ground up to win the belt, sell a ton of pay-per-views, et cetera, et cetera. Now the only prospect I would say that's been put through this model that seems to have worked or have worked for was O'Malley, right? And O'Malley arguably lost to Jan. Um, Again, we're not going to get into that, but again, controversial scorecard where O'Malley was given a decision against Jan, but he looked much better than a lot of people thought he was going to look right. And now he's on the cusp of a title shot. And if he wins, he could end up being another Adesanya in terms of drawing power. I don't think he'll be crossover um, material just because of some of his setbacks. But I could be easily wrong there, too. If he goes out there and he just starches Sterling, wins the belt, cuts a crazy promo, who knows? And even if he's not, again, the next McGregor, Rousey, what have you— Even if he's just an Adesanya type where he consistently sells pay-per-views and merchandise, that's what the UFC wants. Disney is clearly unhappy with the UFC's pay-per-view numbers. They basically mentioned as much in their earnings. And the UFC, on the other hand, while they've got that steady revenue, they love the extra that they get when pay-per-views sell a certain amount. And we know this past year has been horrendous for UFC pay-per-view buys. I think a lot of that is the price point, which is what it is. And that was, I don't know, a joint call or what. Um believe it's more ESPN call, but still. That's hurt buys, but then also you don't have a lot of stars going out there and fighting, right? Um, Adesanya said that 281 was a million plus buys. There's no way that's true or he thought it was, but there's no way that's true because if it was, we would have heard from Disney, it would have been leaked. It would have been a big deal because when it's a big enough number, it gets out there. That's not the case here. So pay-per-views are not selling as well as they used to be. UFC wants to make these new stars. This is a way to hypothetically do that. And if you look at fighters like Molly McCann and Pimblett specifically, where it's not terribly hard to see their ceiling based on their past performances, especially Molly McCann's, right? Like, she struggled in the UFC initially. She lost to Jillian Robertson, uh, Laura... Um, that one, I actually would have to look up the pronunciation, but Laura Pre-Precipio, I believe. Um, I botched it, I know, terrible names. <laughs> but um, She struggled with them, struggled with them. And then she comes back, kind of rides this friendship with Patty into superstardom to the point where you had the rock say, she's going to be the future champ. You had a crossover star say like, Oh, that's the future champ right there. Anybody that knows and has been watching Molly McCann knows that that's an outrageous state. And then they gave her Aaron Blanchfield, which I assume was the UFC matchmaker saying, okay, this has run its course because Blanchfield is a red-hot prospect and was going to dominate her, or should have, which she did. So, but but again, for a period of weeks, months, you had people believing Molly McCann was this huge potential superstar in the crossover world, right? The Rock says you're going to be the, the next champ. It's crazy. But that's part of the marketing machine. And in the UFC's mind, that is a data point that says, oh, this is working. This is exactly what we want. Raul Roses Jr. Goes out there. He's in high school, right? He's 18. Goes, wins his fight against Jay Perrin, which again, 10 and 6 Jay Perrin has never won a fight in the UFC, has not looked phenomenal at all. Goes out there, wins that fight. And had some people criticize some stuff. But then you have a response from Ariel Hawani that sums it up where someone criticized and said, you know, that guy hasn't even won to fight in the UFC. Like what's the big deal here? And Ariel says, who cares? He's 18. That's crazy. It's awesome. That's the exact type of response the UFC wants is, whoa, you got this 18 year old whiz kid just going out there. And I mean, my boy, Drake Riggs, put it very simply, uh, Christian Lee, Angela Lee in one championship. They debuted much sooner. Their youngest sibling, I believe, just debuted even earlier than that. Like this isn't the first time someone's done this. And if you have the right competition, it's very possible for someone to win at 18, 17, 18, right? It's, you know, this isn't a 14 year old whiz kid, which I mean, they wouldn't sanction, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's this narrative being pushed and it's being extremely well. The UFC seeing that tweet and seeing the reaction is exactly what they want. And it, if you look at Raul's, uh, you know, post fight interview from contender series, right? Numbers were going through the roof there. That's somebody they're going to push and they're going to push the same way they did with Patty and Molly and all that stuff. Mo Malley. So it's the same way they push Chase Hooper too, right? Dana White on record saying, Man, the numbers for Chase Hooper were through the roof here, or whatever. Also a young up-and-coming prospect. They had the whole M&M's thing. They, you know, pushed him in a certain way. He lost to someone that he probably shouldn't have in terms of the prospect building. And now he's kind of fallen to the wayside, right? I mean, he'll still, when he goes back out there, he'll be like, oh, Chase, Chase Hooper, he's a new hot prospect, or he's that prospect. And he'll still be considered that way. But okay, that. he he didn't pan out the way that they promised him to at least initially doesn't mean he can't come back and end up being you know a very good draw but you know they they put him up against Caceres who is an established well-known vet which hardcore MMA fans levels one and two of the customer segments know and he, he got whooped right and he lost another fight too I believe um or almost right. It's, either way, it's one of those things where when when you have this model you're going to have some that don't pan out, right? But this model is clearly what the UFC wants to do and what they're thinking is the new way to build a good fan base that could one day translate into pay-per-view buys cuz at the end of the day, it's also very important that this new model is really meant, again, to create superstars that can add more revenue to their bottom line. And I would say that Molly McCann, Chase Hooper, Roe Roses Jr. right now are three where there hasn't really been any revenue added to the bottom line. Pimblet, because they've had the because he was a big enough splash when he first landed, right? I think they probably got some deals out of that. I mean, if you're putting him on F it Friday and you're doing all these other things, there's probably a couple of ways they've made some extra money just from Pimblet. I mean, I guess if you want to go through YouTube monetization, they've definitely made money on some of these guys in, in, in differing amounts. But to really affect the bottom line, to really make a big impact in the way the UFC wants, it's pay-per-view buys. And it's star power that translates beyond merchandise, ticket sales, all that. Because merchandise, they do get money for that, right? But the way it's split, it's it's a very small portion. Gates are always near sellouts, almost regardless of what fights on nowadays, right? Especially post-pandemic. That may change in the future, but... Right now, Gates are, are near sellout, regardless of who's on the card. And again, we know small portion of their revenue. But the media rights deals and the sponsorships are what's really boosting their growth. And you're going to keep Disney happy, who wants those pay-per-view numbers up, if you are selling a bunch of pay-per-views, plus you're getting your cut on top of it. You're going to attract a bunch of new sponsors with a new superstar. Right, if especially if that superstar is from Liverpool and you have a bunch of companies in the UK who are like, oh, okay, you know what? Yeah, I want to get on board with this. Let's go ahead and figure it out. That's going to make big, big differences to the UFC. A couple extra thousand views here, a couple there, not nearly as much. So this is to set up a blueprint for eventually getting new superstars to replace the lack of a Rousey or McGregor or Jones or whoever during the heyday right even Adesanya to an extent right Adesanya will retire one day you have to replace him or if he falls off because he's lost to Pereira and and it's caused a bunch of issues same thing you want to have superstars in your lineup to sell for your media rights deals and your sponsors So I would say at this point, the model is working. They haven't actually had anyone filter out the way they want yet. O'Malley might be the closest. And if O'Malley ends up winning a title, that will be a real test. Like if O'Malley headlines a pay-per-view for a Bantamweight title, the buys on that pay-per-view will be the first real test of this model in terms of actually impacting return on investment. But I think they're going to keep using it, maybe making smaller tweaks because again, you had people convinced that Molly McCann and Patty Pimblett were the next big stars. And I, I think people realize now they weren't, but Raul Rosas Jr. Right. Jury is still out on him. And let's say he doesn't pan out. That's fine too, because The thought is eventually one of them will, right? What happens when you get the next, even Cody Garbrand, right? Who ended up kind of being pushed as a star, huge, immediate push to the title, and then he loses, right? But imagine instead if they had slow played Cody, instead of having him fight, what, number 11 and then fighting for a title. Imagine if they slow played him like O'Malley or Pimblet, and then he goes on and wins the belt. Imagine what the numbers are then. Imagine how much his fan base is built then. And I think that's their thought here. And I don't necessarily think it's wrong. I think that's probably a smart play. Everything I've seen here is the marketing tactics have worked to convince people, fans, media members, crossover superstars, that certain fighters are the next big thing, even if their tape doesn't back that up. And that's huge. That's a formula the UFC has been looking for for a long time. So I think the UFC will stick with it. They'll continue to make small tweaks, but they're not going anywhere with it anytime soon. And I think eventually, whether it's O'Malley or it's someone else, we will actually see it put to the test and see whether or not it actually truly ranges outside of the hardcore buy rate, gets those big pay-per-view buys or not it's going to be interesting. Let me know your thoughts on the new model. If you think I'm right, if you think my model is off, happy to talk about it. Happy to hear your thoughts. But yeah, I think I think this is going to be something the UFC sticks with for a long time. All right. Well, since I rambled and ranted a little bit on our last two subjects, I'm going to make this the shortest quick hit section I think of any podcast I've ever done. Let me know if it's not. First, we're going to talk about one championships television deal with Channel seven in Thailand. Uh, I think it's a good deal for them. Expands their broadcast reach some more. It, it's another sign that they're getting growth that they've been after for a long, long time. It seems like Amazon was the first domino to fall, but a lot of other things are coming in place. Again, don't know that it will put them in the black, but it's another good sign for them that they're moving in the right direction. And then the only other thing I've got is in an update to the James Kraus betting scandal, Alberta did reinstate UFC betting. Ontario has not. Um, so apparently Alberta was satisfied with what the UFC did there. Ontario still needs to see a little bit more, but that's a good sign for the UFC and for Endeavor as a whole because that means their pitch of this was one guy, it's one particular thing, it's not any bigger than that, at least made one province happy. My guess is Ontario won't be too far behind. Um, James Cross is still going to be banned from all this stuff. And as White said, he might go to prison. I don't know about any of that, but either way, good step there. Only two quick hits I have. Let me know if there's anything else that I missed this week. Uh, But yeah, we're going to move right along because of that. All right. So this brings us to the final topic of this episode, and I will cut it a little bit shorter because I rambled the other two times. And that is MMA judging and the somewhat small, crisis but still crisis that the UFC may have following 282 so I did a podcast where MMA judging was focused heavily in terms of the business effects of bad judging and what that does for both fighters and promotions and all of that not terribly long ago I don't know all the months and years are blurring together since COVID It's, it's ridiculous but um I recommend you check that out if you want more in-depth discussion on just kind of the building blocks of how a bad decision will affect a promotion, a fighter, all that stuff from the business side. This time around, I want to talk about 282 and perception, which is another topic I've covered before on this podcast, right? 282 is starkly different than a lot of other bad judging decisions because bad judging has always been a systemic issue in MMA. Bellator 289, the night before UFC 282, you had a awful scorecard that was 50-45 for Danny Sabatello against uh, Rufian Stotts When Stotz won the fight, if you do a 48-47 Sabatello, it's I don't know about that, but it's, 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 you know, could go that way hypothetically, right? Uh, It's a bad scorecard, but not an egregious scorecard. A 50-45 Sabatello was egregious. It it was just, that person was not watching the fight. That person was MMA judge Doug Crosby. And it, it was pretty horrendous. If you listen to other podcasts this Weekend and week, I am sure you will hear his name dragged through the mud. I know that um, Arohawani has already done it. Luke Thomas has already done it. I, a lot of people just, I mean, yeah, it's pretty terrible. Now, I don't know if he wasn't watching the fight or if he just had some crazy scoring criteria in his head, what have you. But this judge who gave that terrible score card, which is universally panned, as a what score, was then flown out to Vegas across the country because the original uh, Bellator fight was in Connecticut. And with a span of 24 hours, he then gave what many considered two bad scorecards for the co-main event of Patty Pimblett and Jared Gordon, and then Magomed Ankolaev and Jan Blahovich. But Doug Crosby has always been ridiculed and said it's bad judge and people just kind of shrug like that. that's the way it is just don't leave it in the hands of the judges right you will see passionate media members i myself could be very passionate about it um with judging you will see fans who are passionate about it with judging but most of the time it's like okay you'll get a what that's a robbery or what that's crazy and then you'll get a lot of like well i didn't have it that way that's pretty bad scorecard but ugh. and even if it is a really bad score, scorecard, it will die down. 282 is different in that I think this is the first time I've ever seen a visceral reaction from the MMA community as a whole on the co-main score and the main event score. Um, I've seen media members that never call things robberies, even when they're pretty bad call them robberies. I saw outrage at some media members that rarely show that type of emotion. They may be critical, they may complain about certain things, but just outrage um, out at Patty Pimblett's unanimous decision win and the split draw between Boavich and ankolaev, And then you have calls from some of these media members or more prominent MMA gamblers, right? Um, Luca Fieri, who is very well known um, in the gambling side of MMA, and, uh, you know, I, I've never personally met him, but I've only heard good things. Uh, he He was calling for widening of the investigation, that things look corrupt. You had a lot of people calling it corrupt. I mean, fans, you always have some fans that do, but you had media members. You had fighters saying, this is corrupt. It's rigged. Don't spend any money on betting in MMA, etc. That type of reaction is a crisis. What level of crisis and how far it will go, we'll see. But That type of just pushback on those scorecards is when you start to lose. You start to have fans, whether correctly or incorrectly, lose the belief that the system is fair. And even if the system is completely fair, and this was just terrible judging by six men that. Didn't know what they were doing. And I don't know that, again, if you go look at individual scorecards, it's not all six of them were were pulling crazy cards out of their butt, right? Um, Some of the scores are very justifiable from individual judges. But if you look at the outcomes, the perception is now that the UFC might not be on the up and up. And I don't know if it was kind of preempted by the James Krause betting scandal and then the UFC's reaction to that where he was blackballed and, you know, there were eyes on it. And cause that did, you know, seep a little bit into more of the mainstream because it got provinces involved. It got, um, state commissions involved. It got the attention of, uh, you know, certain people that are not normally in the MMA space to start to look at that. That's a big deal. So I don't know if it kind of, you know, preempted all of this and then set the stage, so to speak. But when you have fans and media and fighters all together, almost all unanimously on social media, retweeting and talking about, you know, this is rigged or you need to widen the scale of the betting and all this stuff and having so many people believe it just seems off that perception is everything it's everything and that's something that can really hurt your business because if now you have several gamblers who look at that prominent gamblers in the space say oh you know what i'm not touching the ufc after that after those two two judges scorecards, those two fights there's no way i'm touching that because it messed up my parlay or I had a big bet here or what have you, or it just looked off. Even if I won, you had people who said like I won money off of Pimblet and that's still messed up. Once you have that, that in your head that, Oh, this might not be completely fair as it appears to be. And those people pull their money and they start telling other people to pull their money of like, don't bet on this. It's not worth it. That is, threatens a huge revenue stream for Endeavor and for the UFC. Now, it's not again something that overnight would cause an immense collapse or any of that stuff, but we talked about this last week with the crowds betting scandal. OpenBet and IMG Arena provide this data to sportsbooks and it's not gonna, you know, this type of perception isn't going to affect those deals unless the betting probe gets widened or certain sports books see this and they say, you know what, I want to stay away from it. And I don't think we're there yet. But it will affect sponsors. It will affect sportsbooks' appetite for that data and information. And it may end up turning off enough fans because. There are a bunch of fans that just watch the non-title fights to bet on them. Or watch the just abysmal lineup on these fight night cards because they want to bet on them. Why do you think the UFC has odds up and talks about props and all this other stuff recently? They went from mentioning it maybe once during the broadcast outside of the opening odds where oh this person is was a minus 300 and they're getting you know they're they're actually in a dog fight right now that might have been the only time they ever mentioned live odds to now we see opening odds we see props being called we see oh you could get the 31,000 parlay for underdogs or six of this many underdogs you have several betting shows that are based around this it is an ecosystem, and it's something that the UFC wants to keep pushing and wants to keep monetizing. This threatens that gravely because if you have enough betters and enough people saying, you know what? I'm not putting my money here. That's, this is not on the up and up. This is not cool. Then you, you lose an appetite for it. it. It doesn't take much right? If I'm new to gambling and I want to get into like, Oh, I love gambling. I want to, you know, get into this stuff or maybe I want to, you know, maybe I follow these guys where you pay a subscription or you pay a fee and then they give you your top picks. And then those guys are saying, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore for MMA. Like let's, let's do basketball. Let's do baseball. We're not doing it for MMA anymore. This isn't fair. It doesn't take that much to start a domino effect there. And again, it's not going to kill the UFC or endeavor overnight or anything, but it hampers and hurts one of their revenue streams and a stream that they clearly are putting effort into growing. Because suddenly my guess would be, especially on some of these fight night cards where it's almost all contender series guys. And then maybe you have a couple name value in the hardcore circle, uh, in the main and co main, you might suddenly see a big decline in viewership on the ESPN plus side. if, Gambling stays away. I would not be shocked. And if that happens, well, then suddenly ESPN is upset because why are these numbers declining? Well, okay, Meteorite steals is up. Well, your numbers for your fight nights are down 24% year over year. I don't know that we want to pay you an extra 100% of what we're paying you now. Let's, let's make it 30. And it's a domino effect. And the problem... That Dana White furiously mentioned, because it clearly got under his skin. If you watch the post-fight presser, I mean, man, it was, he was fuming about a lot of stuff. The betting, betting stuff got under his skin, and then the way the fights went, he was not happy.
1: Well, what's the UFC going to do? We let these guys know not to bet on fights. Do you know what the outcome of this is? Like, if I, if I penalize them, you get cut. They're going to go to federal prison. Federal prison. If you're that f- stupid and somebody else wants to do it, knock yourself out. There's not enough money in it to ruin your life and not go to jail, go to federal prison. Working with the Nevada Athletic Commission to improve the consistency and quality of judging. We've been doing it for years. I mean, for 23 years, we've been working with these guys on that stuff. Um, but it's not just the Nevada State Athletic Commission. It's, it's other commissions when we go places. You have, I, I, you know, I haven't said this in a long time, so things must be better. Don't leave it in the hands of these judges. Don't go out in the third round and think you won the first two rounds and push a guy against the cage when you were doing great in the fight anyway. You already were were, were doing great in the fight. Go out and fight the third round.
0: But if you look at the response of the UFC, right, they can't control the judges. Don't leave it in the hands hands of the judges. And he tried. Dana White tried to position it as, oh, no, Gordon should have fought better. And, you know... That fight was just ridiculous, and we've had bad judging, but it's, it's kind of whatever because, you know, he said he tuned out in the main event in the third round. That's not great. Not great at all. And when you can't control that outside factor, which, again, we talked about in the other podcast, it, it can come back to bite your business. And in this case, judging has come back to bite the UFC pretty badly off of 282 now I don't think that they'll necessarily necessarily announce that they're going to reform things or whatever because you know Nevada that I really doubt that they're going to come out with a mea culpa here and all of this but I also wouldn't be surprised if the UFC starts to push for somebody like Crosby not to be on the cards and maybe we see him less and less or see him only for fight nights or certain things like that. And for those of you that think that the UFC can't do that, even though they are separate entities, there's a reason why there are certain referees that Dana publicly bashed and said, oh, we don't ever want him fighting again. And then suddenly they never refed a MMA card for the UFC again. They to other places, but why, why off the UFC? Well, it's supposed to be independent. Is it now? Lots of political ties, an insane amount of political ties between athletic commissions and MMA promotions. Uh, I think Luke Thomas hit the nail on the head with his most recent video in terms of talking about, you know, the influence there and how there's just enough shown to you where it looks like, okay, this seems given enough information to the public that, okay, we have some idea, but there's a lot of things on in the background, right? from my experience in government work, I will tell you that that is not uncommon at all. Um, I knew someone on the Illinois Athletic Commission once upon a time. Uh, and yes, it's very political, like a lot of other state entities. So wouldn't shock me at all that certain things are maybe influenced, even though they shouldn't be, because, again, you're trying to get revenue for the state by holding events there. In your state, getting that extra, all the tourist revenue and things that they tout, like, oh, UFC coming here brought us this much extra boost to our economy, blah, blah, blah. And then it helps politicians get reelected, et cetera, et cetera. Funnel politics. Then you get into the realm of politics. But yeah, it's, it's a scenario here where I think something has to be done from a business perspective, some type of damage control, because that type of reaction... um, I, I mean, I someone very close to me who is a uh, fan of MMA, but I would say is a UFC fan, and um, you know, watches doesn't watch all the fight nights, um, watches when they can, uh, but but they're more of the semi-hardcore type, you know, remembers things, remembers names that you know a casual wouldn't know. Um, their reaction was like, man, that, that just to boil it down, their reaction was essentially like this. This is the stuff that makes you lose faith in the sport is what they said. I, I don't think that will turn this person away from the sport forever, but that's saying something. And yes, it's anecdotal. And it's just one person, But. I doubt based on the evidence I've seen on social media and in talking with other media members or other friends in the in the industry, I doubt he was the only one. And I think there are probably some that are like, well, I'm done watching this crap. And this is the moment that kind of turns them off from it. We'll see, but it's not great. So there has to be some type of damage control, I think. Um, I think if you have any any bad judging going on in this last fight card of the year of the UFC. Luckily, they get a break, so there'll be some space here. But if you have any bad judging that happens in this last fight card, I think then you're in even bigger trouble. So I think you, at a minimum, you keep away Crosby from this next week's fight card. And we review the other scorecards, and if any other judge seemed to be off you you just make sure they're they're not that they're not vegas uh for this Trickland cannoneer card because you, you want to you minimize any more attention to judging that you can for the rest of the year and then depending again how long and how sustained this backlash is you maybe look at announcing like okay we're going to start training people or you even if you're the UFC and you come out and say like look they need to do better and we want them to do better and you make a big statement about it and a big huff about it even that deflects it from you right that deflects it off of the promotion and on onto the state now depending on your relationship with the Nevada State Athletic Commission you maybe don't want to pull that too much but if you have the leverage there, which I would imagine the UFC does have more of the leverage there. A, a really good damage control technique here is you make a big stink about it. You say it's you know, ridiculous that they were scored that way. They have to do better. You make a big fuss and you deflect it from the promotion to the state F5 commissions. It's going to be very hard to do that now, given Dana White's initial reaction in the post-fight press conference, but you still could do something to that effect, especially if you had somebody like Hunter Campbell or Lawrence Epstein come out and say it um, and make an official statement on it. Um, I don't think that's the way they'll go, personally knowing the UFC, but I, I think they can certainly do something that helps limit the damage here, even if it's behind the scenes and making sure that Crosby is on very few prominent cards Um, like not not judging mains and co-mains or anybody that's, you know, potential star, that type of stuff. I think that, you know, sit them out for a bit, right? Um, But I mean, then again, we see this in boxing all the time. Yet Adelaide Bird get officially reprimanded and basically sent to be retrained or off of cards for a long time, then came back and was on MMA cards judging and, doing boxing again too right could just be a waiting game luckily for the UFC they've got a big break coming up if they can get out of Cannoneer Strickland unscathed they'll be all right but still that visceral reaction that's not something you want to see if you're the UFC and even if this blows over quickly it's still a mini crisis I guarantee there's some sort of mini war room or what would be a mini war room where they're talking about this stuff? But I also don't think much is going to change, as others have said. Um, the relationships would really have to fray between the UFC and athletic commissions, or there would have to be a big enough scandal or focus from a more mainstream source to really push things to change, right? Um, a la Nick Diaz trying to be banned and then tons of people getting involved and the backlash being so great share coming out and being like (laughs) free Nick DS. Um, Right. That would have to be the push there. And as UFC has grown in popularity from the pandemic, there is more exposure there. So that's something UFC has to be aware of as well. But yeah, I think for the most part they handle next weekend, they get out of there unscathed and then they take the break Internally, maybe make some changes um, and and go from there. But I would also encourage listeners to listen to something that Aaron Bronstetter, friend of the show, put up recently, which is Doug Crosby, this judge, talking on an old episode of the You're Welcome podcast with Chael Sonnen, which is not that long ago. I I mean, the topics include, you know, is flyweight division going to go away or not with Demetrius Johnson and all that? So. You know three four years ago something like that um crosby says some very interesting things that are very damning and it certainly does not put the ufc in a good light if you want me to discuss those more next week i will gladly do that let me know in the comments um but I encourage you to listen to them in the meantime. I will leave you with that in terms of how bad this could spiral if the UFC does not make the adjustments it needs to. A little bit of a cliffhanger there. That being said, let me know, again, if you were okay with – if anybody out there is okay with the judges' scores, let me know because I'd like to hear from you and your your perception there. Um, let me know if you are gambling on the UFC – or have considered gambling on the UFC and now you're turned off or whether or not you're like, oh, that's a fluke. I'm going to keep gambling. Um, I'm going to keep betting on these fights. And yeah, let me know your thoughts on this. Cause again, this, this has been something I didn't, I saw people in the community. I never thought I'd see get upset about bad scorecards. Just go off on them. I think that's very indicative of a much larger problem. Uh, with judging, which has been around forever, but this seems to have hit a nerve and and UFC has to do something about it. One would assume. It's going to be that or or we'll see, you know, is the MMA fan base, do they really have the memory of a goldfish? Which they might, because again, everybody just instantly jumped on like, oh, Glover Teixeira and Jamal Hill in Brazil, awesome. And that became the new focus for quite a few people where it's like, um okay, that's weird. Dana never makes fight the same night. He's made a fight the same night, and seems to be no ramifications to the fact that there was a weird, shady split draw in the main event and a co main event where almost everyone thought that Gordon beat Pimblet. I mean that that's Honestly, maybe all the damage control the UFC needed to do was just surprise announcement of a light heavyweight title fight. We'll see. I, I would like to think that the business side uh, of the community is, is more in tune than that, but we'll see. This will be an interesting case study in itself. What does the UFC do here? Is it really just announce Glover versus Hill? It, it, might, it might be, guys. I honestly don't know all right well that wraps up another episode of the fight business podcast appreciate you guys listening as always um especially the past two weeks numbers have been up it's been awesome send me questions i know there's one person i didn't get their permission to give their name so i'm not going to say it here but they did send me a question i touched on it in this episode but it didn't answer it in full i promise i will answer the other pieces of it next week Um, send me your questions though love to answer those to talk about um anything in the business side of MMA. Obviously it's my passion. I know this will be a little bit late at least again. uh, That's because of all the craziness that happened Saturday had to cover it. I felt was important enough to do so. So love you guys. Appreciate you listening as always. And until next time, get money.